Frank, I don't know about you, but I often get questions about storing data. You know, data. <laughs> like put it in a cloud or on a file or in a database. Data. Yeah. As long as it's an exclusive or you don't want to put it in both places because then you have to, oh my God, synchronize that data. And that is the absolute worst. That is the hardest part of programming. Forget cache and validation. This is cache and validation on steroids. Yes. We've talked in the past about all sorts of different ways of storing data. Obviously, you are synonymously known with SQLite-net, the one of the ways of of having an ORM over SQLite. And as we know, SQLite is pretty much everywhere. But uh, what I did at one point in my life was I created Monkey Cache, which has many ways of storing simple key value pairs. There's been Akavash in the past. There's been Azure uh, mobile app, online, offline stuff. There's Couchbase. There's um, all sorts of crazy, awesome packages that are cross-platform or build into these native platforms for Windows, Mac, iOS, Android. However, both Google and Apple, they actually have their own libraries <laughs> built in to those frameworks, Android and iOS, to handle data. Did, did you know that, Frank? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I tend to avoid first party data things. I don't know why. I know I, I should just give up and give in and just do whatever big corps tell me that is the right way to store data. You know, it's funny. I think my whole career I've been, I've always had trouble storing data. I think I, I'm not uncommon either. I was at a conference once and I was talking to um, a, a young junior programmer, a kid, I don't want to call him a kid. And uh, he was like, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of programming and I, I, I like writing programs, but like, how do you get data out of the program? And like, how do you like when you bring the program back up? How do you how do you have it resume its state? And I'm like, oh, brother, <laughs> now you're beginning the rest <laughs> of your career. Like, it's so easy to not so easy, but, you know, writing a program's not so hard, but it's talking to servers, synchronizing data, uploading data, downloading data. It's all complicated. And so I've always hated it. And that's why I created SQLite-net, because I hate it. <laughs> and so I wanted a very simple way to access a database, wrote that library. People liked it. Um, but um, yeah, to get back to what you were saying, I knew the first parties had it, but I, I didn't use them for whatever reason. Yeah, I specifically really didn't use anything on Android because Android didn't really have anything besides just like SQLite and like the sort of built in kind of like base base database. Um, uh, what do they call them? They're kind of like <laughs> you're paging through data. It had like a weird API for Android. Yeah. I, I didn't really, really liked it yeah. too much. Cursors. Thank you. Yeah, You're cursoring mm -hmm. through data. It really wasn't my jam per se. And um, so I never really went down that route. So I always went down the SQLite route. However, um, the iOS one, um, well, Android, I should say, uh, they, they, they now have a, something newer. I think it's called Door. I think it's called Door, door? right? Oh, Door. That, that's new for me. Da I've never database. heard of that. <laughs> I'm looking it up. Room. Database. Not Door. Ooh. Room. Room. <laughs> Hello. You got to get in the room. Uh, yes. So accessing data through uh, Room is pretty cool, actually. Okay. Um, so I want to give a shout out here to to this really nice um, API because it has these uh, really cool ways of annotating uh, and doing queries 
um, directly as little attributes, on, especially in Kotlin, but even in, in Java as well, but basically little attributes on top of the data object. So let's say you have a user, you can have a, um, you can say that is your data object. They call it the D DAOs, which mm -hmm. is a data access object. Yep. A DAO. And then what you can do is you have a little like interface and you say insert all delete and then get all. And you can say at insert at delete at query, and then you can give it the query that that function is going to return from said database, which is uh, pretty cool. And you can even do things mm -hmm. like on conflict, what's your strategy that you want. Um, you can have different, like, you know, um, different, um, arguments for updating and things like that. So, so all sorts of really cool queries. It comes down to like actually knowing, you know, uh, SQL commands basically, cause you're like select first name, last name from user, right? Yeah. Not, not the best, like we have in SQLite dash net, but I think it is a really minimal way of just creating a, a lightweight database access layer, uh, into, into getting into the room. Yeah. It, which has the data, uh, the room has the data. Can I show my age? Um, Ruby called yeah. these active records. Remember when those first came out? Like mm. um, Ruby, I think, is the first one that's like, hey, accessing the database could be easy. <laughs> Instead, let's not make it so hard. Let's make it easy to access the database. They're trying to solve the ORM problem. Um, I think that uh, it, it's a little bit of a debate how you want to deal with your uh, direct database layer. How, how you create your business objects is almost a little bit separate from this. We're just kind of talking the data layer. And SQLite-net, um, my little ORM, does not do active record. And what I mean by that is it doesn't keep a pointer back to the open database. So you can't just like call a function on one of these objects to query the database or anything like that. You can't just call dot save on it to uh, hit the database. You need to manage the pointer to the database yourself. They're kind of just dumb objects going in and out of the database. Whereas a more sophisticated data system <laughs> uh, actually has like entity ideas and they enforce it. So if you query two person objects and they have the same IDs on them, they could come back hopefully as the same actual objects in source and in running executable memory with a pointer back to the database. So you can do all your easy stuff. I actually started adding that uh, to SQLite.net and Miguel Ding said, Frank, stop Ding. it. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants this. Keep it stupid. Uh, so he convinced me. But I, I, I've always been um, influenced by the beauty of the active record system where the data objects keep a pointer back to the database and, it, and all the querying stuff uh, uh, tracks which entities it's given back to you so that there's only one entity for each uh, data object. Yeah, that's but, yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. It's like, oh. I, I was going to say, but um, uh, were you ever drawn to that kind of system or were you, you were you were fine with the you're old school? You, you're used to managing the database yourself, right? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just a classic relational database type of guy. That's really, you know, I understand it. I get it. I did it at Canon after Canon continued to do it. And I, I definitely did understand it. I never really got into the no. SQL trend, you know, with just having these big globs and stuff. I think I just sort of understood more the primary key, other stuff. I have this database I'm accessing and I'm doing this stuff here. Although, I mean, 
I guess in general, there could be some nice niceties to it. The the problem I've always had with, you know, setting up and, and managing things in SQLite-net is, is mostly the one-to-many or many-to-many mm-hmm. relationships with having to handle, you know, oh, okay, my, you know, it's, it's not too bad for like a one-to-one relationship. So like, oh, my user has one, you know, um, address. Oh, okay, cool. I'll go get the address thing and then pull that up. Right. But when it's like, oh, they have multiple addresses, you know, kind of that one to many relationship, you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Or imagine you have a playlist and playlists have songs. So now each song could be in, you know, playlist has multiple songs, but then the song could also be in multiple playlists. And you're like, oh, geez, like, you know, it's all kind of, kind of all over the place. So that's, a an interesting one. But yeah. I, I think even this room implementation still handles um, basically those joins effectively the same. Like they set up a cross reference where it says, oh, there's the playlist ID and the song ID. And then we're just going to keep a bunch of tracks of we have another you know, and, you know entity, which is basically just a key value pair back and forth, you know, uh, in the in that in that regard. So I don't think that, that even really you know, yeah. solves this thing in general. It's funny, we're both .NET programmers, so we shouldn't mention the elephant in the room, entity framework. <laughs> it's, it's there, everyone. It, it comes up by default when you create a website and all that stuff. I just haven't really used it on mobile. But that that's more the active record system also, where um, they, they manage the instances of objects for the most part. And it, it has the benefits. Uh, I apologize, everyone, for not handling one-to-many, many-to-one, many-to-many very well in SQLite-net. I get frustrated with it too. Um, I should really improve that somehow. But I will say uh, there are limitations because I'm doing the dumb record approach um, because I don't have a pointer back to the database. I have to be careful about how things query. Um, A big one that people always wanted was if I have a virtual method uh, there's a person object and you want to query children, uh, give me the children of the person object. Uh, it'd be nice if that was just a property on the object, hmm. but I can't do that because you knew up the object and I can't override uh, a new instance of an object. I just can't. I have to manage the creation of the object in order to be able to do that. And even then, you can't really do that on iOS. Nowadays, you can, <laughs> but in the old days, you really couldn't uh code generate to do that kind of stuff um i guess in c sharp nowadays you can too do it that way all these wonderful options of ways to store your data so can i tell you um i i do like the old style but i i I did kind of force myself into trying one of the more modern ones uh core data from apple the one we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier I avoided it in the past because, I don't know, I guess I just heard bad things and it seemed kind of complicated. But I was trying it recently and it brought back a lot of good old memories of um, creating entity maps and entity framework and drawing database diagrams. I used to love drawing database diagrams and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I used to really love Microsoft Access. I, I think everyone should start programming in Microsoft Access. <laughs> and <laughs> I started using core data, and it's it's the heavy active record style where you design your relationships, all that kind of stuff. And I have to admit, even though I am old school, it was kind of fun to use a modern framework, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about that. Yeah, let's do it. I have had some friends. Uh, in fact, I know uh, Heather 
not even just a friend, but my wife <laughs> has been talking recently about uh, core data uh, recently and different migrations and how things uh, end up happening. So I'm, I'm relatively uh, interested to hear your exploration of why you went down this path and then also um, what it was like and how far you've gotten and what the complexity is, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, the why is a little bit silly. Um, I had a terrible app idea. Let, let me give you the quick pitch. I don't want to try to sell you this app because it's a little bit silly. Uh, you can have lock screen widgets now on the phone. And I wanted a notes app where the notes show up on the lock screen. So it's almost like a post-it notes app where little widgets show up on the lock screen. There you go. How, how's that pitch? Notes app, they show up on the lock screen if you want them there. Love you buy it. it. Great. <laughs> Love it. I'm, I'm in. I'm in for two. You're I'm in. in for two copies, Frank. Two Great. copies. <laughs> uh, the problem is uh, you, you can't do um, lock screen widgets with .NET. Wah, wah, sad, sad. Maybe .NET 9 or something like that. We'll be able to do it. So mm. I decided it's a very simple app, though, right? You know, <laughs> it's a notes app. Manage the notes. Show them on the lock screen. Really not complicated. So I decided I would just uh, write it in Swift. I don't mind writing stuff in Swift. I still much prefer F Sharp and C Sharp, but Swift, it's a language. It has question marks and guard statements and sometimes squigglies, sometimes not squigglies, sometimes dollar signs, sometimes not dollar signs, sometimes at signs. When should you put the at? When shouldn't you put the at? Who knows? Uh, it, it's all fun. <laughs> I, I like it fine as a language, but, um, you know, it's it's like, I wanted this to be a stupid, simple app. I didn't want to spend a lot of time um, overthinking it or or designing my own data access layer. And the default when you do file new project in Swift is core data app. Hello, core data. So that's Mm -hmm. the why. Mm -hmm. How's that go? (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I mean, so you just got it. You're like, and here it is. You're welcome. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I like their new app template that they do for Swift. It's um, They have a wonderful entity called Item. The app pops up and shows a list of items. <laughs> and there's a plus sign and that adds an item. The neat thing is, and I, I want to start by giving a big compliment to Core Data because it solves one of the hardest problems that we alluded to in the beginning of the show was synchronizing data. Uh, so core data has always stored its data in a little SQLite data. Not always, I shouldn't say always. I'm sure there's like providers and everything, mm. but it's, it's usually just putting its data into a SQLite database. The thing that impressed me about the Swift, uh, new project template was if, if, uh, you signed your app and actually put it on a device and things, and you were signed into iCloud it would also synchronize uh, data accesses up to iCloud. So it was doing the local stuff synchronized up to iCloud. Pretty hot, James. Pretty hot. (laughs) I'm a fan of that. I, you know, I'm a big fan. fan If uh, things want to automatically synchronize back and forth, I'm not going to say no to that, Frank. It's not going to happen. I'm going to say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Yeah. And in beautiful Apple fashion, it's iCloud. So it's 90% of your users, but you are leaving 10% of people behind um, for synchronization. It's still going to use SQL light down deep in its little database internals, Uh, which yes, 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 yes. So, so 
let's be very clear here. Core data, just an ORM on top of SQLite yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. If SQLite-Net was a little more sophisticated, it could do all, most of the tricks uh, that Core Data is using. Uh, core Data doesn't make you manage database connections. Instead, you manage what they call a managed object context. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, a rose by any other name. <laughs> so you, you, you keep that thing around and you can manipulate entity objects you know, um, change properties, uh, call delete on them. And then at the end of the day, you just say to the context, context.save. And that will do the local database update. And it will then spam the console with 8,000 messages because, oh my God, Apple, stop it. Stop spamming the console. And eventually it will upload that data to CloudKit. CloudKit, have you done any CloudKit stuff? I have not known. What is CloudKit? CloudKit is Apple's database in the sky. Database in the cloud. Huh. Um, yeah, it's I, I actually use it in my apps. Whenever I want to synchronize data between my apps, I upload that data to CloudKit. And what's neat is hmm. all your apps can, uh, you create a container, because of course we can't call it a database. We just can't call it a database. You create a container up in the cloud and uh, in your app ID, when you set up your app, you can just um, mm -hmm. give yourself the entitlement to go access certain containers. Uh, so you can create all the containers you want. Uh, it's funny how it works. Uh, people actually pay for their own storage. So you're not paying for the database. That's why I like it. Um, people who use it, the user is actually paying for it. So be nice, everyone. If you decide to use CloudKit, keep in mind that people are actually paying for that. Don't store too much data up there. Uh, it, it, it was, <laughs> Apple's tried so many different ways to store data up in the cloud. Uh, I think CloudKit's finally the one that's good it's very simple you have uh records which are part of a table in rows and a table tables have a schema it's ba it's basically a database up in the sky querying it you have to use ns predicates instead of like sql they're a little bit weird mm. i still haven't fully learned the syntax i need to write like my, my own orm over <laughs> ns predicate because it's very confusing um, but otherwise, uh, CloudKit's very straightforward. You know, you do, you can do a post to create an object, you can delete objects, and you can update objects, and it's a database in the sky. But it, it takes a lot of work, you know, you're, and you can't, you can't use it as your primary database, because again, 10% of users are not going to have iCloud, or if you have a lot of big data, you're not going to want to put it all up in iCloud. And so, um, you, you, you're, even even though it's so cool, you still need to solve the synchronization problem, a local copy and a cloud copy. And I was really pleasantly surprised to see that core data just kind of does that for you. And that, that's a really neat feature. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, that feature in general of it, of just like hooking those things up, because you're right, like not everyone's going to have iCloud, which is kind of a bummer, but it's also their fault in a way right i mean i guess yeah you can run out of that 50 <laughs> megabyte I mean, pretty quick i'm just saying 
Um, well, and it's hard too because I, I go through mine and I definitely look for problematic apps that are like backing up too much data or a lot, a lot of other mm-hmm. stuff basically that they shouldn't be doing, which you could do, right? Because you could put things in the wrong folder. You know, like when you think of, when I think of CloudKit, it's not actually anything to do with CloudKit, but for example, iCloud itself, you could just store an image or a file in a folder when you go and ask for a different folder. Some of those are backed up automatically to to, mm-hmm. to iCloud as part of your app's data, right? That's there. And if you're a photo app or a video app and you're putting all of your images in there, then those would get backed up. And that's, that's sort of up to you. And that's a problematic if your users are looking to turn off specific things for specific apps at that point. Yeah. And of course, the biggest problem being this is all Apple centric. <laughs> so if you're doing a cross platform app, mm-hmm. you don't want to do any of this. This is all bad. Go put up your own API. It's not that hard. Do ASP.NET new project, throw it up on Azure. It's fine. <laughs> but again, I was just trying to keep minimal code here. That's why I'm using the first party thing, use the first party database, all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to manage an additional website and things like that. I was trying to keep it nice and small. Um, but I have to compliment them because it's it's really come a long way. The part I think I enjoyed the most was, and this is something I regret for not offering with SQLite-net, uh, Entity Framework still has this in Visual Studio, but the Entity Designer, you know, it's, I'm old school. Mm. I like designing my entities and creating my one-to-many relationships and my many-to-many relationships. Uh, fun thing I, uh, I noticed that they do in their designer that I haven't seen other people do is if you do like a one-to-many relationship from one entity to another, they force you to also declare the inverse of that one. And that's really clever so that uh, no matter what object you have, you can move around the graph really easily. And the, it's a synchronous API, which you know you may or may not love depending on all those things, especially because it's very unclear what the threading rules are <laughs> with core data. Mm. So you're kind of like hitting the database on the UI thread. All their examples do it. It's not the most beautiful architecture and they don't really tell you how to write a proper multi-threaded one. So there are downsides. But you know what? If you just don't care, James, just lower your standards a little bit and access the data layer on the UI thread. It's fine. And it's it's a pretty productive (laughs) development environment. Terrible. I do think that the the nice part about core data, though, kind of to that point, is that there is not only like that persistence layer, but it has a bunch of things built in, kind of like to you're talking about, like, I'm just doing stuff. And like, I think it does it because there's like shake to undo support. Um, you can do things in groups. Uh, there's background tasks like it says, you know, it says perform potentially UI blocking tasks like parsing JSON into objects in the background, and then you can cache them and store the results. And like, mm-hmm. and just like you can, it'll do it. And the, you know, the last part they talk about versioning and migration, which I'm very interested about. <laughs> I don't know if you got that far. I yeah. think that's probably where I feel like that's problematic in some way. Yeah, versioning and migration is kind of fun how they handle it. Um, in general, core data and the way it talks to the SQLite database is it'll just migrate the database much like SQLite-net does. So if it notices you're using a record with a name field, it guarantees that there's a name field on that on that row. I keep, sorry, mm. they call it records and I, I keep bouncing between database lingo and Apple lingo, but records, rows, tables, bunch of records, basics. 
Uh, now I totally forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> what were we talking about, James? Uh, I think most of what we were talking about, uh, Frank, was the sort of setup that they have of these nicer features that are built in and that how it basically won't mess up your UI, you know, your UI blocking stuff at, the, at that time. Yeah, again, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the rules. <laughs> I am not a professional Swift developer. I'm really good at .NET threading. I'm less good at Swift threading. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I apply the same rules I tell everyone with SQLite-Net. Make your queries small. You know, don't don't fetch a thousand records. Don't try to present a thousand records in the UI. It's just not going to work out. So, write nice, uh, tight little queries and things like that. Uh, so the fun, the the crazy part of the migration, though, um, going back to that topic, was how they handle the cloud part of the migration because it is using CloudKit. And CloudKit has its own migration rules. And they're a little bit funny how, I, I actually really like how Apple did this, but it's a little bit funny if uh, you've done it differently. In development, when the app's in development, uh, it just kind of auto-migrates the, on, uh, the cloud database. So I mean, SQLite's doing its own thing. The cloud database kind of auto-migrates and it basically allows anything. If it sees a new field, it adds the new field, all that kind of stuff. When you want to go to production, which I learned includes test flight. So everyone, if you're going to send an app out to uh, uh, beta <laughs> testers, <laughs> take notes here. Uh, you have to uh, migrate to production. So all your development changes, the last snapshot of how it saw that you were working with the database, will then get migrated to production. And that's where all test flight users and App Store users would then access the database. So it's a fun, it, it, it's a workable migration path. It, it lets you make some mistakes during the development process. And then only when you're pretty sure you got it right, uh, upload it all to production. Hmm. That makes sense. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so you can really just test it out. But then you have to, yeah. What happens when, if, I guess if your users haven't updated yet, like what happens in that regard, do you know? Uh. I don't know other than the classic rule of database when adding a column, it's nullable. Um, so, you know, the mm. one frustrating part of using core data is even if you declare fields as required, you know, like this string is required, name is required, uh, it can still come back null. And so just in the API. And so whenever you're accessing the ob these kinds of objects, you are writing very defensive programming because Swift is pretty strict about if it's declared as nullable, you have to handle both conditions. Uh, very much like that if you turn warnings on as errors like I do and create pain and torture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that seems not like fun. Yeah. yeah, so nullable fields, everyone. <laughs> Whenever you're migrating your database, just set it as optional. It, it works, nice. though. Like these are, uh, uh, like I said, uh, my experience was very positive here. I don't recall why core data got a bad rep in the old days. I don't know if I was just ignorant. <laughs> was I listening to the wrong people? I don't know what was going on. Uh, it's It's been in the background of my life for the last you know 10 12 years and i've always ignored it successfully and so i was happy that the one time i decided to try it out i was pleasantly surprised which is a good pro tip to everyone try new things from time to time <laughs> you might be surprised they can be good
Nice. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that it's always fun to explore. There's a bunch of things in the world of .NET that I've, you know, explored a little bit with um, um, Monkey Cash, obviously, with like LightDB, mm-hmm. for example, or some other ORMs. And I haven't even like, you know, you were talking about, I haven't really gone down the world of um, that I really want to of is, you know, a lot more entity framework and doing a whole bunch of the migrations and things like that and having it just do so much for you. So it's on my list, like learn a lot more of because I, I just don't really come from the web world necessarily as much where entity framework is everywhere uh, for .NET developers. But I know that those aren't the only one. There's like tons of other, you know, things on top of it. So I think it's a good kind of lesson to remember is like, hey, like you can go out there and there's a bunch of stuff out there, you know, that you can try and, yeah. you know, go to town with. And I'm sure there's, I mean, do you remember the early days of mobile development? There were a million uh, cloud databases out there. Not all, not all of them survived. Yeah. And so I'm sure people are like screaming into their podcatcher of choice right now. And they're like, well, you guys didn't talk about this awesome database. Sorry, sorry. There's, you can only learn so many databases in your career and you stick with the ones <laughs> that you like and that work. And it's good to know that I, I have another one to add to. But it does make me also want to create something, something like an iCloud, but for cross-platform .NET-y apps, because I, I do like the choices they made. As Apple does, they present a, a simple UI, but one that works, you know, 90% of the time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good system. So I would like to take something like, you know, Azure Tables or and merge that with SQLite so that you get local syncing with the cloud syncing, things like that. But I'm sure this is the point where everyone's screaming <laughs> that you should try this. Frank. <laughs> you should try that one, Frank. Okay. So I'm sure they exist. But just saying, uh, isn't it great when libraries deal with all that for you? Yeah, it is. It's a nice, uh, nice perk at the end of the day. Well, yeah, right into the show. Let us know what things you're using. Are you just using SQLite-Net for everything? Are you using some other cool framework that we should definitely try out and try to integrate into our applications? Let us know. Go to MergeConflict.fm. There's a contact button over there. Or better yet, we enabled 14-day uh, trials on our Patreon. If you want bonus behind-the-scenes podcast episodes, 14 days, any of them, any any trial you want, just 14, you can, you can binge the backlog of all of our bonus episodes. That is, uh, there's a little button on the MergeConflict.fm website. So give that a go as well. Let us know what you think. Um, but that's it. Yeah, I'm glad you gave uh, Core Data a try. I should really try it. Like, I should probably experiment more with some Swifty stuff and like take a look at those templates because it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's fun to break out of your box, especially when the results are okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Super duper appreciate it. I hope that you have the most amazing day in your entire life. Until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>